Well, we're going to talk about something, <clears throat> excuse me, a little different than his love and kindness, but it's mixed in there together. But I want to start this morning by, um, <coughs> excuse me, taking you back to um, April 12th, 1945, actually, to uh, sort of paint a picture for you. Uh, April 12th, 1945, Franklin Delano Roosevelt died, uh, President of the United States. And uh, President Roosevelt was, was more than just a president in many ways. He'd been president for so long. He was really the heart of this country. He was really a father figure to the whole nation. When he died, it was a, a traumatic event for the country. And immediately after he dies, of course, Harry Truman, this uh, guy from Independence, Missouri, is uh, called in and he's given the oath of office. <clears throat> and at 60 years old, uh, chosen because he'd be no problem, he had nothing to do <clears throat> with uh, the election of Franklin Roosevelt, really. He was just added to the ticket. Suddenly, six years old, he finds himself the 33rd president of the United States. <clears throat> and in his uh, homespun way, he says, well, said if a fella knows what it's like for a load of hay to fall on him, I feel like the earth, the moon, and the stars just fell on me. He was this farm boy, really, from Independence, Missouri. He'd been a bank clerk, a farmer. World War I, he joined. He was a soldier in France. <clears throat> After the war, he decided to start a business. The post-war economy was not easy. His business failed. Uh, he was just a normal guy. That's one of the things I've always liked about him. And suddenly, he finds himself president of the United States. And it is not a real convenient time to become president of the United States. We're in the middle of World War II, <clears throat> which has been traumatic enough. And uh, he takes the oath of office thinking about World War II is going on, and I'm president. And a few military men sort of say, uh, can we talk to you a minute here? And he said, uh, actually, we didn't tell you about this, but we're a couple weeks away from finishing development of the atomic bomb. It's the secret weapon we've been working on, and a bomb will destroy an entire city. <clears throat> and it's up to you now to decide whether you will use this uh, in the war. And you can imagine, you know, what's going through his mind. Uh, just racing through the implications of now he's the president. And I'm sure it, it came home to him very quickly. His heart is pumping, <clears throat> emotional reactions. He has to be overwhelmed. And you think, what would that be like to be told suddenly that you were at the center of history here? You had all of this responsibility. <clears throat> the decisions you make, the things you would do, would have incredible consequences. And you were much more important than you ever expected to be. Uh, well, that's what we're going to talk about this morning uh, with Moses at the burning bush. Because 3,500 years earlier, Moses found himself in the same situation. And uh, he would have understood what, uh, what uh, Truman was going through in that, that time. Let's read this, uh, just enough to get into the story and remind you of Moses at the burning bush. Chapter 3 of Exodus. We'll start at the beginning. It says, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, 
the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight. Why the bush does not burn up? When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off the sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. And the Lord said, I have seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. And I'm concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So, go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Now the story goes on. Moses says, who am I? And, uh, and then he says, well, what if they won't listen to me? And he says, you know, I've never been very good at speaking, Lord. And negotiates a little bit. And finally, in the end, God lets him know that this is not a negotiation situation here. This is an announcement of what's about to happen. And in the end, uh, he goes. Now, the way I'd like to approach the passage with us today, as we look at this, is to ask the question. Here Moses is. He's 80 years old. Uh, He's a family man in the desert. He has a wife and children. Things are going pretty well. And he comes to this situation where God speaks to him from a bush. And my question is, when Moses was there in the wilderness at this bush, what did he hear God saying? What did he hear from the bush? Okay? <clears throat> That's a, <clears throat> a really worthwhile question, and you can take this further yourself because there's lots of things he heard <clears throat> in the midst of this. I'm going to mention three for us this morning just to, to walk through this. So the first is, what did he hear? Well, the first thing he heard was that he heard that this was God speaking. He heard that this was the voice of God. Verse 5, God says, Don't come any closer. Take off your sandals, for the place you are standing is holy ground. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He went over to the bush because he was curious. He wanted to see what was going on. And when he gets there, he really does get a surprise. Uh, 
but not just about these flames. He finds that he's in the presence of God suddenly. Uh, it's like a tornado, it seems to me. A tornado, you're sitting, the, the people were sitting in Southwest Lawrence here in their apartments. It was quiet. And all of a sudden, it was like a train hits outside. This wild wind, this incredible force, things blowing against the outside, roofs flying off. And, uh, you know, there's no warning and there's no defense. Just you're there in the middle of it. And Moses goes over to this bush, curious. And suddenly, wham, he's there with God who is speaking to him. And certainly it must have swept over him. Suddenly he realizes what is going on. He is in the presence of God. He says he hides his face. He is scared uh, when he comes to the bush. Um, Yes, now, you know, what is so astounding about that? That he would come and, and find God speaking to him in the wilderness here while he's taking care of his sheep. Uh, Seventy years, the Israelites hadn't heard anything from God. But uh, you think about this and you think it would have been impossible for Moses to arrange a meeting with God in one sense. He could have gone and wandered through the wilderness for the next 40 years, the next 80 years, and never found God. He could have looked in every bush. You who? God, are you in there? Yeah, looked under every rock. God, are you there? It would have been impossible for Moses to find God. Um, the, what's interesting to me is, I've always been struck by the beginning of the Bible in Genesis 1 and 2. You have the picture of God with Adam and Eve in the garden. And that's where they are. They're with God in the garden. Things are going well. There's a harmony. And then chapter 3, you have the disobedience. And the end of chapter 3 is the picture of the sword that's standing at the gate of the garden. Adam and Eve have been sent out now. And God puts this flaming sword that flashes in every direction, it says. And the message is, you cannot come back in here. There is no way back into the garden. There is no way back into God's presence. We cannot simply arrange a meeting, in a sense. And the only possibility is if God himself decides to reveal himself to us. Isaiah 59 says... Your sin has hid his face from you. Your sin has hid his face. And in the picture in Genesis, your sin has excluded you from the garden. You know, you simply can't go in and see him unless he decides to reveal himself to you. And that's what he does here with Moses. He decides that now is the time that Moses would meet him. Uh, when I work with international students, a lot of the students I talk with are not Christians, obviously. And this is always one of the most fascinating aspects of Christianity and my experience to them. They hear me talk about my discussions with God or meeting God or God speaking to me. And they go, what is that like? What do you mean God talks to you? Or that you talk to God. It sounds like a mystery to them. Uh, It's just not something they can quite understand. 
And that's exactly right. It is a mystery that I actually talk to the God of the universe and that the God of the universe actually talks to me. I describe to them reading scripture in the morning and maybe I'm meditating on this, praying about whatever's said here. And in the midst of that, I hear the Lord speak to me. He takes it and like a sword, he pierces into my heart and says something that he wants me to hear. That fascinates them. And it should. Uh, and it's, it should fascinate us that for us as Christians, it's a daily experience. It should be at least. We are the people who know God, have a relationship with God, that he actually talks to us, you know, day by day in our life. Uh, and sometimes he says something encouraging. Sometimes he rebukes us. Sometimes he teaches us something we really need to know. And then sometimes he does what he does here. He gives us an assignment. And uh, for Moses, Moses heard the voice. Moses recognized who was speaking. And he was very uncomfortable with what God was saying. Uh, because the next thing, it seems to me, that you have to talk about in this passage in terms of what did, what did Moses hear is the most obvious aspect of the whole passage. And that is, Moses heard God saying, I have something for you to do. I have something for you to do. Verse 10, I paused when I read it. He says, so now, go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, Israelites, out of Egypt. And in verse 16, a little more detail, he says, Go and assemble the elders of Israel and say this to them. He gives them a little speech here to say. Well, so he has something for him to do. But now the question is, what did Moses hear when God said that? You know, what you hear is often different than what's said <laughs> immediately. And what Moses hears here is obviously something like suicide mission, you know, <laughs> danger, danger. Um, here's, you know, he's thinking, this has a really low probability of success, God, <laughs> like zero probability. Uh, and he's thinking, as he says, this is somebody else's job. This is not my, this is not my gifting. You know, this is, I was never a big risk taker. Uh, that's what he's hearing. He hears, this is impossible. Me? <laughs> uh, you know, he's just sort of uh, shocked here when God says this. And yet at the same time, there is something underneath of this that he's hearing. And I'm, it may be on a subconscious level at this moment when the Lord begins to speak. But what he begins to hear and what he comes to understand real quickly is that uh, God is telling them that he has a whole new direction for his life. He has a whole new direction for his life. Uh, Eighty years old, he's taking care of the sheep, He's a member of Jethro's family. It's a nice place to live. He's right there in the northwest corner of Saudi Arabia. He likes it up there, it seems. He has wife and, ch and uh, children. 
Uh, he can see his future in front of him. And God's telling him, I have a whole new direction for you. And he's also saying, I have a much bigger purpose for your life than you are currently grasping. And I have a profound role for you to play in what I'm about to do. Just like Harry Truman on September 12, 1945, he had a much more profound role that he was about to play than he ever imagined. And Moses was beginning to hear that he had a much more profound role, a much bigger purpose than he ever dreamed uh, he had. Another way to think of this, another way to say this, is that God was talking to him about his identity. Moses was really hearing the answer to the question, who am I? Who am I? Or in this case, who is Moses? And the answer is, Moses is not just a shepherd, a man who ran away from Egypt and is living in, Mo in uh, Midian. He is the representative of God. And two chapters later, God will simply clearly state that I will make you as God to Pharaoh. That's a wild statement. Moses is just about to become the voice of God. He's just about to become the face of God. <laughs> He's just about to become the hand of God. He's about to become the presence of God. He's about to become the power of God. That's a significant role. You could summarize it in one sense with the story to say he's about to become the rescuer. Who is Moses? He's going to be the rescuer. And uh, he, he certainly does not grasp this at first. And you read the rest of his story now. Moses doesn't go home to Jethro and say, I'm going to go rescue my people from Egypt. At the end of this story, actually, here's what he says to Jethro. He says, he went back to Jethro in verse 18 of chapter 4, and he says, let me go back to my own people in Egypt to see if, them are, see if any of them are still alive. <laughs> uh, he's still, he's going to work into this a little slowly. He's willing to go, but... He clearly does not understand who he is. And as you read his story, one of the fun things to see is you begin to see him embrace this role. He begins to embrace who he is and what it is he's supposed to do um, back in uh, Egypt. And as he does that, he is transformed. He comes uh, from being Moses the shepherd to the Moses that you and I know, who is one of the pivotal characters in scripture. And an another part of this that is fascinating is who Moses is, is very closely tied to who God is. Who are you, Moses? And the answer is very tied to who, the question, who is God? because he does become the voice and the hand. Now, and that self-understanding, as he comes to grasp it, really does shape the rest of his life. 
Understanding who he is shapes everything else. And so the question that you know I'm going to ask already is, who are you? Who are you? Are you a technical writer? Are you a lawyer? Are you unemployed? Is that who you are? Are you single? Are you a professor? Are you a student? Are you a secretary? Are you a repairman? Are you a carpenter? Are you a member of Grace EPC? None of those really describe at all in any adequate sense who you are. None of them describe the person who has been called by God, who has been uh, spoken to and has been told who they are. It's the skeleton maybe of who you are. It's a framework, but it is not who you are. (laughs) You know, you are much bigger than that. And the direction and purpose of your life is really profound. Uh, The destiny of what you are to accomplish is more than surprising. It's unbelievable. Because the truth is, you, you, not us only, but you, are the voice of God. You are the face of God. You are the power of God. You are the hand of God. You are the presence of God. Sometimes we call you the body of God or the body of Christ. That is who you are. And it's incredibly significant because your self-understanding really does shape everything else about your life. Your self-understanding shapes everything about your daily life. If you are a carpenter, if you are just a carpenter, then you go and you build porches, you remodel rooms, you build decks. If you're an accountant, you add and subtract, you balance some kind of sheets or whatever. In your spare time, you create incredible problems and scandals for big companies. (laughs) But if you are the voice of God, if you are the presence of God, then any of those things that you do really does change. And not just your activities and the way you do your activities, but you do find that you're surrounded in this world by a whole world full of people whom you are supposed to rescue. You have been sent to rescue them. And you either wander through the world um, just sort of being a sheep herder in a sense, or you walk through the world really as a person who has met the Lord at the burning bush and has found out that you are somebody different than you thought you were. You've met the Lord and heard 
that he has something else for you to do. Now with Moses, the question is really, are you willing to do that? Are you willing to be that significant? Are you willing to be someone God uses in that way? Are you willing to have the whole purpose of your life revolve around this identity? The last thing that he hears that I'm going to mention is that along with what God tells him to do, Moses hears a whole series of promises. He reacts in fear instinctively, just like us. He tries to negotiate. He expresses the fact that he does not think this is a job for him. He sees this is real low probability kind of stuff. And still the Lord sends him. And as he sends him, these are some of the things he says. Verse 12, he says, I will be with you. In verse 18, he says, I know you don't believe it, but the elders of Israel will actually listen to you when you go tell them that you've met the God of their fathers at a bush in the, in the desert. In verse 20, he says, I will stretch out my hand as you obey this command. Verse 22, he says, you will end up plundering the Egyptians. And in the fourth chapter, verse 12, he says, I will help you speak. I will show you what to say. Just a whole promise after promise, issue by issue, as Moses raises it, God makes these promises, you know. He says, Moses, this is going to work. I know you don't think it's going to work. This will work. And things will happen. Things that I'm not even going to tell you about right now because you won't be able to, uh, you know, accept them. Amazing things are going to happen as you go. Success is promised uh, in this endeavor. And I was thinking about, of course, as you always have to, these miracles, the, these miraculous signs that God gives them. The first one is throw your staff on the ground and it becomes a snake, of course. And I just have to say, there's no way I would have ever picked up that snake by the tail and had it become a staff again. Moses is braver than I am. But I thought about, you know, just this issue that um, that is a crazy deal. You're going to throw a stick down and it becomes a snake. A miracle happens when you throw this stick down. And I thought, you know, the Lord sends us out and we throw down the gospel. What? The gospel foolishness to men. And amazingly, it springs to life. It is amazing. But you throw that gospel down and it springs to life. Or you throw down some prayers. Prayer seems like talking to the ceiling sometimes, doesn't it? We get in a room and we bow our heads and we pray. You throw down those prayers and miraculously they spring to life and things happen. You throw down that little bit of love reaching out to people and miraculously it comes to life. Uh, Moses is at the bush. He hears the Lord's voice and uh, he's scared, but he still goes. 
He has absolutely no confidence this thing is going to work, but he still goes. Uh, the details about how it's going to happen are real fuzzy, but he still goes. Uh, and as he goes, everything changes. He discovers who he is as he goes. He discovers who he is. This new identity emerges. He changes from a shepherd, that's what he thought he was, to a rescuer who does miracles, something he never dreamed of being. His, his life is reshaped, uh, and he becomes the voice of God. He becomes the hand of God. He becomes the power of God. And he discovers who God is as he goes. He didn't discover it simply from reading a book. He discovered who God was as they partnered, as he walked with God doing this. And he discovers a life uh, of miracles because his life is a sequence of miracles, you know, one after the other, in a sense. Well, the, uh, the bush is still burning and the voice is still speaking. Uh, Jesus says, go. Right? Make disciples of all nations. He ends that by saying, I will be with you. He says, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And he also says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses everywhere. He is really telling us the same thing. I mean, he's telling you he has astounding things for you to do. And he's telling you, that you have a much bigger purpose than perhaps you have allowed yourself to imagine or perhaps much more profound than you have, have really grasped and embraced in your life. He doesn't want you simply to go through your life being a shepherd, taking care of the sheep. He has something much, much bigger for you to do. And we could say, are you willing the answer is, you have no choice, really. <laughs> this is an announcement he's making here. And the challenge for us, I think, with the burning bush, one of the challenges is just to say, the Lord is speaking. Amazingly, the Lord speaks to you. And he has something amazing for you to do because he has made you something incredibly significant in this life because you, in fact, are the voice of God. Let's pray. Father, you know, it struck me as I studied this that I realized that great, the worst thing Moses could have done would be to simply ignore this. And the tragedy would be if he never really grasped who he was. He would have missed his destiny. He would have missed learning who you are. He would have really missed understanding who he is. I pray that we wouldn't, Lord, that you would help us hear your voice today. You'd help us grasp this basic uh, 
this basic truth that we are incredibly significant, that you have given us a purpose and a role that's profound, each one of us, Lord. And this week, I pray that we would no longer simply be lawyers or students or writers or carpenters or professors, but this week we could be uh, your partners walking with you as you change the lives of people all around us, as you change the world itself. Thank you for such an incredible thing that uh, you have put us in that position. Lord, we really do look forward to getting to know you and getting to know and appreciate who we are and being part of what you've planned, even for this week uh, in history. And just say that in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, please stand for the benediction here. Our benediction I've chosen from 1 Peter 2. It says the same thing that uh, we've been looking at in the, the story of Moses. Our response to this is hallelujah, amen, just to acknowledge that it's true. And here's what I have for you. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. And all God's people said, Hallelujah. Amen.